Welcome to Gone Fishing, a show diving into the cybersecurity threats that surround our highly connected lives. Every human is different. Every person has unique vulnerabilities that expose them to potentially successful social engineering. On this show, we'll discuss human vulnerability and how it relates to unique individuals. I'm Connor Swalm, CEO of FinSecurity, and welcome to Gone Fishing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Fishing. I'm your host, Connor, CEO at Finn. I'm bringing on a million repeat guests. I don't know how many episodes I've done with you, Wes. But Wes is now the co-founder of Empath. and He's joining us today. Wes, how are you? Man, Connor, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Let's not count the number of times I've been on as long as I get to come on again and again and again. I have a really short-term memory. So, you know, the odds are in your favor that next week I'll be like, you know, I haven't really chatted with Wes in a while. So let's get him back (laughs) on the podcast. Deal. So for those uh, who don't know you and don't know Empath, can you give us a a few sentences on you, your history here, uh, and also Empath as well? For sure. Yeah. So um, long-term, long-time MSP uh, friend. I've been in the industry since we started Perch back in 2016 and um, been around MSPs since that time and will always be around MSPs the rest of my career. Um, So uh, cybersecurity guy by trade. We started this thing called Empath back um, just a few months ago, actually. We just kind of came out of stealth right at right at boom. Uh, meaning like we sort of opened up the platform. Um, you can check that out at empathmsp.com. Basically, we're helping MSPs do two things well in their world, um, upskill and onboard. Um, those are two huge challenges that folks have. How do we get everyone rowing in the same direction? How do we eliminate and kill um, tribal knowledge? And how do we get everyone truly marching in the same direction inside the MSP? It's a, it's a huge challenge. So we're, we're working on solving that with my uh, two co-founders, Alex Farling and Kyle Christensen, some of the finest human beings on planet Earth, and uh, super excited. We just hit 100 MSP partners, Connor, uh, which is really something it just we <laughs> hit that in five weeks. It's just bonkers. That is awesome. Why, in your opinion, do MSP struggle so much uh, or find it hard to educate their staff uh, well to either whether it is upskill them or just train existing staff on their own uh, procedures and whatnot? Yeah, you know, we're a growing, burgeoning industry, right? And so when you look at an industry that's come up over the past 15 years from literally nothing, you're going to see new things emerge that have all of a sudden become a big issue. So if you look at the journey of a lot of MSPs, how many founders do you know? MSP founders started their MSP 10, 15 years ago and are now maybe 20, 25 employees, somewhere between five and 10 million, and they're just being crushed. Things are going well for them. They have a mature sales engine. Um, They have a good staff of folks that have been around for a good amount of time, but they also have a lot of turnover and new folks coming in. And so all of a sudden, we've seen this culmination for a lot of MSPs from the largest PE funded down to new ones that are just getting started. What does it look like to standardize our growth? Other industries have been doing this for quite some time. If you look in Gartner, they call this workforce education. It's basically this idea of like, how do we actually get our folks moving and up to up to speed where we need them? And that is something I think has just sort of hit the fan for MSPs in the past few years. I was at uh, an event just recently uh, with Ninja, and we were just asking MSPs, "What is it? How do you onboard and upskill your employees?" And one guy put a bottle of water at the end of the table. He goes, "Here it is. Here's my employee." And then he pushed the bottle of water off. <laughs> and he goes, "We just throw them in the deep end." And I think that's actually okay. Um, and a lot of MSPs invest in mentorship, you know, or shadowing, they might call it, you know, hip to hip training, follow me around. But we don't really do much more than that. And that's the challenge that I think we're in just because we've grown so fast as an industry. An interesting thought. Uh, I, I don't know if I've talked about this with you, but I've definitely chatted about it with Alex is, is this problem one of the contributing factors to why so many MSPs, when they get to that 25 employee mark, when they get to that five to 10 million in revenue, 
they're just like throw their hands up and say, I'm done. It's like private equity or, uh, you know, MSP acquisition group come in, buy, buy me out, you know, let me go buy my, my boat or my house or go on that vacation I never have because I work all the time. Do you, do you think that's one of the contributing factors? I do. Um, are we a show that sponsors hot takes around here? Oh, yeah. Uh, hot takes, cold takes, and warm takes. We take them at any temperature you'd like. Well, get ready to shed off some clothes because I got a hot, <laughs> spicy one for you, my friend. Um, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm going to throw some shade without it being at a specific group. So if anyone thinks I'm throwing it directly at them, I am not. Um, if you go look at most of the coaching and peer groups that exist out there, go look at those who created them. They never got their MSP below or above 10 to 12 million. That's the threshold. So why is it that so many MSPs and their peer groups struggle at 10 to 12 million? Because that's where they're capped out. That's where they're coaching. That's where their peer groups tend to end. Uh, there are very, very, very few MSPs, very few that have organically grown to 15 to 25 million and beyond. I think of like the Sean Torres of, of the world of Intelecom. You know, they've done about 30% month over month growth. Um, they're well past the 20 million uh, growth. They're very, very rare unicorns. And so I'm not throw, like, I think a lot of our peer groups are helpful to get us to that stage, but then we have enough group think and a enough lack of experience of what do we do to get to the next level. And so why is it that we see so much PE come into the industry saying, well, we, our target is somewhere between five and 10 million is an MSP. Well, if you look at it, at Empath, and I'll share this, Connor, if you want this in the show notes, but we actually built out a cybersecurity maturity journey of MSPs according to uh, revenue targets and revenue numbers. And we also did this just at a leadership level too. And what we discover in this is that you take most MSPs and when they hit five to 10 million, they've proven themselves mature in their business processes, a mature sales engine, but to grow beyond that and to really scale into the future, it's a huge roadblock because they don't know how to do it. Their peers don't know how to do it. And it's just easier for them to go to PE and say, I think I'm ready to take a step back, let you come in, go into the larger umbrella. And what are the PE funded MSPs doing? And I, I think it's a wonderful idea. They, many of them are doing this fantastically well. Um, they're growing their book of business by doing this. And then they're figuring this out. How do we do this at scale? And so that that's really what's happening in the industry right now. And I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it's really interesting to see what those folks are doing. And I think today's MSP that's looked at is large, like, for example, in Evergreen, uh, Lyra. You know, I think in the future, we might look at those as fairly normal because we're seeing a growth coming into the industry and we're seeing a consolidation together. Um, and, and I think that's just natural based on where we've come from. If I could play devil's advocate for one second, is there this, this hidden wall, so to speak, that serve MSPs serve communities, they serve geographic localities, unless you're, you know, building separate offices and you're serving different uh, areas, you're pretty much geographically limited to my tech can drive to an office and drive back within the course of a day. And it's not going to be the majority of their work that day. Is that a factor as to why, you know, getting that 10 to 12 million mark, it's like, okay, well, We've kind of saturated our local market. Everybody knows about us. We've been a pillar in the community for a decade, two decades, sometimes three or four decades. And now we've kind of just tapped it out. And they're at that point, the MSP owner, the MSP leadership, they're like, well, I could go do this all over again, much more difficultly by doing it remotely in some other location with some other group of people. But, you know, that doesn't really excite me. You know, what would excite me spending the last 20, 30, 40 years of my life spending time with my kids, raising, helping raise my grandkids, whatever it is. I see a lot of that thought. Is that a contributing factor? It, it is a contributing factor, I think, quite significantly. Uh, when you talk to a lot of these folks, um, 
boy, and I could even give you some some folks to interview for your next gone fishing. Um, you know, talking about the larger side of MSP and how they've eclipsed those hurdles. Uh, I think those are parts of the problem. I think also when I when I think about like a normal MSP owner that hits that ten to fifteen million, one of the triggers that you'll still notice is that they typically have to be involved in every single new deal. Like they're the ones that they might have a sales team. Those sales teams are largely hunters that are opening up opportunities and building a relationship. But if you're listening to this today and you're a CEO and you're thinking, yeah, that's us, I still have to go in and close every single deal. You're the bottleneck. You are. And so Kyle um, had a great, Christensen had a great post. Um, I don't know when this will be published, but just go look at his channel and you'll see it um, about how it's not leads and sales is not the problem. Talent is the problem. And what he means by that is at some point, you as the CEO have to start being a CEO and stop doing the things that are, you're the only one in the org can do it. And that's what putting the big boy pants on means. That's what, how do we build a mature sales engine? How do we build good marketing that goes beyond just the brick and mortar in the 15 mile radius of where we're at? How do we start to grow our business that doesn't require trucks being rolled everywhere? We've been talking about that for quite some time, but to go international or I'm sorry, to go national or at least larger scale requires those challenges or to say, we're going to go and expand and we're going to put in a new footprint in a new city that's 45 miles away from us. They don't know you. In my banking days, we called this de novo growth out of nothing. Banks are really bad at that, by the way. They're really bad at building out of nothing. So what does that mean for you to go plant and become an epicenter in a new location? It requires doing things completely different because the owner cannot trade between being there and at the new location nonstop. So the mechanics that got your MSP to 10 to 15 million will not work for 15 to 30 million and on. It just won't. That makes a ton of sense. I actually just watched an interview with one of the founders of Oculus where he made a very similar point. He said for the majority of the the initial growth of Oculus before they got acquired by Facebook, I believe it was, uh, he was the best optical engineer at Oculus. And he made sure to point out right after he said that he is, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to get you to think I'm smart. I'm saying that because I am a horrible uh, optical engineer in reality, but I was the best we had because I wouldn't let it go. Yep. And, he's like, and that held us back. Uh, I, I see, I see a lot of people talking about things like that. Um, sometimes it can be really hard to know what should you give up and what shouldn't you give up? When should you step back in? When should you step out? And, you know, the, the picture of putting the water bottle on the table and pushing it off and letting them fall into the deep end is really great. But sometimes that can be pretty scary to not only do, but imagine that for the person in the deep end. Like that sucks. Yep. It, it, it does suck. And, let me just, I want to come back to one last, last quick point that you made, that I think is, is really good. I want to follow on this. There's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what? I got us to 15 million as a CEO. I'm ready to take a step back. You've worked hard to get there. There is nothing wrong with you saying, I think I'm going to find a buyer that can take us and package us up for the next level. That's totally fine. In the startup world, we're the same way. Many of us, myself included, I have no desire to ever be a CEO of a Fortune 500 or even a company that goes public. No, no interest at all. It's not, I don't think that to be fun at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with you saying, I'm good at X, Y, and Z. Companies have attrition at every level, including the executive team and leadership. Sometimes you're just not well-suited to be at this stage. Sometimes they're not well-suited to be at that stage. So that, that is an okay thing. The question is recognizing that and making sure that you're doing the right things to safeguard your company if you decide to step back and step out a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it. And I think we're starting to see what this looks like for us in the channel. And um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people get worried over it, Connor, or concerned. And I just, I think it's part of growing up and I don't think it's a scary thing at all. Definitely part of growing up as an industry is when outsiders to the industry 
i.e. PE, venture capital, equity markets actually want to invest big dollars because they're not here primarily. They're not investing dollars because they're seeing the primary good that, that MSPs can do for their community. You know, don't get me wrong. That's obviously a piece of it because it shows value, demonstrates value. They're here to make more dollars. Uh, yep. So it, it represents this kind of maturing of the, uh, the market in general and the, the value it provides. Right. Widespread. Right. Where do you think the number one area, right? You get to that 10 to 12 million mark. You have a bunch of different departments, a bunch of different services you may offer. Some probably still doing a little bit of project work, if I had to be honest. What's the area that you see the least amount of investment in when it comes to employee education? Where's the, most optimum place for growth at that scale. It, it, so it exists everywhere, right? Uh, in in terms of the opportunity, uh, let's take a just a case study of a company that everyone happens to know, Chick Fil A. If if I go into Chick Fil A A versus Chick Fil A B, there's zero difference between the two. They are robotically identical, just absolutely the same. Food comes out super quick. It's always good. There's very few mistakes. They're super fast, even though you wrap around the line twice. And it's run when you get there by primarily high school kids, trending female between 18 and 21. I think it's the most amazing case study. That does not happen in as an accident. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens by deep training. And so one of the things Kyle talks about a lot, um, and this would be another example of a great show, I think, is he talks about setting expectations, measuring expectations. And I think this is the challenge that we have is because so much of what we do is hip to hip, just shadow me. It works to a certain degree, but there's gaps that come in this. And I'm not saying dump shadowing. You should continue to do shadowing nonstop. But what happens if the person who's the mentor, it's teaching someone, just a terrible teacher. What happens if they have gaps in their education that they don't know about? Now we have tribal knowledge that gets replicated like a virus. And now we have more people that don't know something. What happens when we have access to all kinds of education surrounding us? We don't have a lack of education in the channel. Like empath is not coming about because we need more education. What we have a lack of is standardizing all of that, bringing it together into one cohesive ecosystem, and then making sure that we are delivering this to everybody. We have the ability to measure those expectations, and then we can verify that they've gotten where they, they, they need to be. That's how large organizations do this. They say, I don't, you come in, I don't want to assume you know anything. I'm going to assume you know nothing. I'm going to teach everything that we need to know so that you don't come in with, with gaps in your knowledge and you don't be, you're not forced into tribal knowledge that, oh, I just know this because I had to learn it. No one else knows it. So if we can solve for those problems, I think all of a sudden we can see explosive growth because we have infinite talent pipeline coming in because now I can be like Chick-fil-A. I can hire IT folks right out of community college, right out of Best Buy right out of the AT&T store. And now I have infinite opportunity to bring folks in and I have the ability to train, standardize, get them up to go to speed where I need them to go. That's transformational, but it does take work. Do not hear me saying that's an easy button. That's the thing that says that takes process maturity, time and intensive kind of the, the approach to say, what does it look like for every role type in our organization? How do we build towards that and train towards that? It's a lot of work, Connor, but MSPs that do that will see and are seeing extremely fast explosive growth. I used to work at Chick-fil-A in high school. For anyone who has not worked food service, it'll turn you into a person that is vastly different before and after. And you'll learn to value your own time and really, really hope that you'll find a way not to work for minimum wage for a very long time. Do you find yourself still using those same skills today, Connor? Not that I got a Chick-fil-A. Um, but I will tell you this, dealing with unruly people. So I guess, I guess kind of, but they're all what I would consider at this point life skills, not yeah. necessarily you know, skills I got at Chick-fil-A. Dealing with unruly people, uh, finding a way to, even in the midst of, uh, you know, the emotions of, I don't want to say hatred, but like anger, somebody comes up to you super disrespectful. How do you react? 
Well, the way you react can determine, are you going to have a productive outcome or an incredibly unproductive outcome? And sometimes, you know, the whole concept of like eating crow or being the bigger person, a lot of people are like, well, I shouldn't have to be the bigger person, so I won't. And I always fall back on pragmatism. It's like, well, what's the pragmatic thing here is I pretend I don't care how I feel right now. What do I want? I'd like this to have a productive outcome. I want to get away from this as soon as possible. I want to get what I want out of it. And I want to leave. How are we going to do that? It's usually by being the bigger person, usually by eating crow, even when you don't deserve to or need to or should, because that's what's going to get the other person to go along with whatever you want. Um, but what I do remember about Chick-fil-A is your job that you, like you got scheduled for was incredibly small in scope. What I mean by that is you would come alongside somebody when you were learning it for maybe a week or so. So you were never scheduled by yourself to do, let's say you were, be, you, you were on the, the fry cooker. Like literally they'd separate your building sandwiches versus you're cooking the fries or versus someone's preparing the chicken or versus somebody's preparing all of the other items that end up getting refrigerated. It's like behind the front desk, there was like six different activities that you would do for an entire shift at a time. Uh, and it was easy. It was like, I was 16 years old. It was like, hey, this is how you're going to cook the fries. We're going to do this together for a week, maybe a few shifts. And then you're on your own. Good luck. You'll get scheduled for this two weeks from now. It's like, oh, okay. It was easy to learn, easy to communicate, easy to know. This is the really important part. Were you doing well or were you doing poorly? That was it. There was like two things you needed to remember in order to know that you were doing your job well. It wasn't like a factor of a hundred mm. different things. So mm. it's easy. I love that. Um, last thing I'll say on this conversation is so good. That's, by the way, how we should measure. Our KPIs should be simple. They should be very few. Sometimes we load these things in. And I had a post on this just the other day of like what gets measured gets managed. And no one actually says the rest of the quote, which is even to the debt, basically even to the detriment of the company. Um, and, and so I, I absolutely love that. For folks who wanted to connect with you or connect with Empath and take a look, where would you suggest they go? Yeah. So we're always doing free stuff everywhere. Um, just look us up. I'm Wes Spencer on LinkedIn, best place to find me, uh, empath, empathmsp.com. And uh, if you want to see more about what we're doing and helping MSPs, basically what we've talked about today, this is what we're, our, our mission is all about. So check us out. Be happy to show you what we're doing. Um, and uh, thanks for having me, Connor. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for sharing some of your wisdom. And I'll see you all on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about creating high quality security awareness training campaigns that engage employees and change their habits, then check out FinSecurity at phinsec.io or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for fishing with me. See you next time. <laughs>